You're listening to the On the Go with VAO News podcast for the week ending February 5th, 2016. Hello and welcome to our weekly recap of the top headlines from this week's daily acquisition news. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Bill Olver, VAO content developer and senior news writer. And I'm Dara Curran, content developer and fellow news writer. Well, we'll start off with a little bit of good news this time. President Barack Obama's fiscal year 2017 budget request will include a 1.6% pay raise for military and civilian federal employees. The budget is expected to be released next week on February 9th. As you recall, last year's budget included an overall 1.3% increase for most federal employees. Office of Federal Procurement Policy Administrator Ann Rung plans to update guidance on reducing duplicative multiple award contracts. The new policy will build on 2011 guidance that required agencies to submit business cases to OMB for any multiple award contract valued at more than $50 million. During a call with reporters, Rung said the policy helped highlight existing contracts, but now the administration wants to start driving more traffic to those government-wide acquisition vehicles. The new guidance will align with the administration's efforts to improve spending transparency, such as category management. OFPP also is establishing a method for tracking the dollars agencies have brought under category management, as well as what continues to be spent outside of government-wide contracts. On the topic of category management, GSA is ready to launch a public version of its Acquisition Gateway website. The Gateway is the online portal leading to the acquisition hallways where government users can find expertise, best practices, and contract solutions for various categories of spend. The public site will be nearly identical to the platform available to government users, but will exclude some sensitive data such as vendor pricing information. GSA says that more than 5,000 federal users have accessed the Gateway in the last year, a number they hope to increase to 10,000 by the end of 2016. At recording time, GSA has not yet launched the public version, but will be keeping an eye out on the gateway and plan to talk about this in more detail next week. In other GSA news, the agency has tapped Judith Zawadzki to fill the newly created position of Multiple Award Schedules Transformation Program Manager. A 10-year veteran of GSA, Zawadzki will be taking a hiatus from her current role, and that's Acting Deputy Assistant Commissioner for the Integrated Award Environment, and she'll be leading the MAS Governance Council in developing a strategic, comprehensive approach to the MAS program. The Air Force has awarded Boeing a $25 million contract for preliminary work on the Presidential Aircraft Recapitalization Program to formulate requirements and a design approach to execute needed upgrades while keeping to the target budget. Future contract modifications will provide for purchasing 747-8 aircraft and modifying and testing those to serve as the next Air Force One fleet. The service also announced its plans to award two separate sole source contracts to Raytheon Space and Airborne Systems and Northrop Grumman Electronic Systems to modernize radar subsystems designs for the Joint Surveillance Target Attack Radar System, or JSTARS. The system was introduced in 1991, and the Air Force found these two original equipment manufacturers are the only ones that can deliver the needed capabilities when the service recapitalizes the system. No final dollar values are available yet because negotiations are still ongoing, but both contracts are expected to be cost plus fixed fee with 18-month periods of performance. 
The Navy awarded Boeing Company a $2.47 billion contract modification to manufacture and deliver 20 Lot 3 full-rate production P-8A multi-mission maritime aircraft. The plane is based on Boeing's commercial 737 airliner and is used for anti-submarine and anti-surface warfare, as well as ISR missions. 16 aircraft are being procured for the Navy and 4 for the Government of Australia. Work is scheduled to be completed in December 2018. Secretary of Defense Ashton Carter has revealed that the President will include $582.7 billion to fund the Department of Defense for fiscal year 2017 in his budget request. Carter explained that DOD is facing very different threats, and in the past, there's no longer a single monolithic opponent of the Cold War days, and the department accordingly has to spread its efforts among near- and long-term threats, as well as addressing threats that go beyond the normal air, land, sea spheres, and into defending against cyber, space, and electronic threats. All of this is pretty pricey, of course, covering so many bases in so many areas, and the department is trying to implement some bold offsets and efficiencies to make sure it's deploying its money efficiently. Planned investments include an unspecified increase to last year's $5 billion invested in space systems, $7 billion for cybersecurity, $71.4 billion for research and development efforts, and $8.1 billion to boost undersea capabilities. Among the offsets outlined are an $8 billion target reduction in overhead over five years, delaying the retirement of the A-10 fighter jet until 2022, when the rollout of F-35A Joint Strike Fighters can replace them, and implementing previously announced reductions to the Navy's littoral combat ship buy from 52 to 40. Related to this, although the news actually predates the information about the budget plan, is DOD's strategy to meet its space launch needs. The department does put a lot of stuff, and heavy stuff, up in space, and for the last decade, the main provider of launching all this material is the joint venture between Boeing and Lockheed Martin, known as the United Launch Alliance, or ULA. ULA, unfortunately, though, still relies on the Russian-made RD-180 rocket to boost everything up there, and no one is terribly keen on having critical defense capabilities hinging on something that has to come from Russia. There has been legislation variously prohibiting and then revoking those prohibitions against using the RD-180, and lawmakers have sent DOD off to come up with a domestically produced alternative. DOD, though, as we already discussed, has plenty on its financial plate. And in their joint appearance before the Senate Armed Services Committee last week, Under Secretary of Defense for Acquisition, Technology, and Logistics Frank Kendall and Air Force Secretary Deborah Lee James said, Actually, guys, we have a great idea. This is something the private sector is much better funded to approach. Because really, the payloads that are going up are so heavy, the booster systems are so complex, it is not as easy as just making a new U.S.-produced engine and swapping it out with the Russian one, they explained. The entire launch systems would actually have to be redesigned, making an already expensive proposition even more so. So the department plans to competitively select launch service providers, set up customized public-private partnerships, teaming arrangements, and joint investments, and everyone can then cooperatively work towards coming up with a profitable product that meets DOD's needs without DOD footing the entire bill. They will need to get lawmakers support on this, though, because there are already statutory requirements in place charging DOD with developing the rocket replacement, which Kendall says, unfortunately, just isn't the solution to the problem everyone is hoping for. So news has continued to be a little more quiet than the usual pace that we see, but I did notice one item that came through about grants management that I thought we should highlight. Yes, our, our clients are always asking for more information about grants. That's great. And what I thought was interesting is it's continuing the trend we're seeing where there's really a push towards realizing the benefits of high-level oversight. Right. 
we, we see it with Fatera, with category management. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's some point to having an organization or an individual keeping an eye on what's going on from a macro level, your strategic level. It's hard to see and use that data when you're, you know, kind of down in the trenches. Yeah, exactly. And that was the thrust of this piece by Shelley Metzenbaum. And you may remember her from the Office of Management and Budget, where she was Associate Director for Performance and Personnel Management. The focus in grants management usually is fixed like a laser on compliance. You get the info to grantees on what they need to be doing, then you follow up to make sure they're, they are doing what they're supposed to. Outcomes do, of course, get scrutiny as well. But many grant programs have really diffuse objectives, and they're not so easily measured. You don't end up at the end of your program with like a computer system or a ship, and it either works or it doesn't. And that makes her points even more important in a way. She contends federal organizations need to bring their focus level up to also collecting the data that's passing through their hands and figuring out how to leverage it better. In doing so, she says, there are insights to be gained, which can help other grantees as well as agency personnel to up performance, improve outcomes and the customer experience, and reduce costs. The sort of tricky bit is you do have to have an information system in place that will help you collect and make use of the data. She brought up the example of one organization's field workers. They were making their notes when they were out working in the field and they came back to the office and they just, they were never captured anywhere. So that was an example of a huge data loss. You do not want that. But you don't have to be building systems from scratch to be able to integrate some good practices that will help data analysis and collection. One thing seems to be a strategy that doesn't even necessarily benefit the collecting agency, but making the data open and accessible to others. You want to ask yourself, who is going to use this data or who could use it? How can we help the users get information to make better decisions and improve performance? For example, suppose you try something in one of your grant programs. It's a huge success. Okay, great. But how do you relay that through the network of stakeholders? Right. And and the optimal approach may well vary from agency to agency, right? Depending on their culture, their infrastructure. Yeah, their technology tools and stuff. So yeah, half the battle though is being aware, hey, we're generating useful info here. Let's find a way to capture it. Uh, Here's one example she discusses, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. They have an outcome-focused data system that analyzes and shares traffic fatality information and applies root cause analysis, you know, very specific to the mission. But more broadly, Metzenbaum says the system has enabled the agency to test new performance-improving practices out and help frontline workers learn from their and others' experiences and even supply materials to grantees that help them adopt effective high-return practices. So you might ask, what are the building blocks to make this happen? I do wish she had delved into that a little bit more, but we do know from generally accepted best practices, there's some principles agencies might want to consider. One is the aforementioned open data and maybe even open architecture, depending on the sensitivity of the information. Open architecture allows for ongoing collaboration and data handling. An involved user can come in, add a little program that'll make it easier to search on certain criteria, let's say, or maybe array the data in a useful way or cross-reference certain points. Ideally, if you can handle it, also not making people pay to get their hands on the data you collect for your own purposes is another good thing to do. If you're collecting it anyway as part of your normal operations, go ahead and let other people leverage what you've got if it's, you know, possible cost-wise. Data storage can cost money, but you know, try to keep it accessible when possible to people outside the organization if you can. And your grantees, for example, they may not be able to get behind their firewall, so you want them to be able to get their hands on it. Encouraging sharing via a social platform or collaboration platform is also implied in Metz and Bomb's comments. It has to be a platform people will use, though. 
And obviously, as hard as it may be to measure the outcomes, you do need some form of metrics to measure what's actually working. Right. And then you can go and trumpet your success. Yes, that's right. We like that part. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, big data, like, you know, that we're talking about here, that has been a huge topic of interest for the Obama administration uh, for quite a while. I mean, not, maybe not the entire administration, but going back a few years to the early days, uh, you know, mostly it's been focused on spending, uh, starting with the Recovery Act and the work of the Recovery Act Accountability and Transparency Board, which had just huge amounts of data on its website about Recovery Act spending, much more than ever reported publicly before. And uh, you know, continuing on with the Digital Accountability and Transparency Act, which is mm-hmm. building off that to increase transparency into everyday spending. We're also seeing stuff with you know the, the tools that they're using for improper payments, all this big data coming together. Right. Early in the administration, OMB directed agencies to post data sets so that the public could examine them, make new tools, make connections that maybe agencies weren't making with the information they had, make apps that they could sell using mm-hmm. this government data that's just sitting there. And I think, you know, honestly, expanding that and to to capturing and reporting data on the results of grant spending, not, not just the spending itself, um, could really have a huge impact on how funds are allocated, what programs are funded. And, you know, honestly, the, the, just the lives of beneficiaries, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, federal grant spending is education, it's, it's health, welfare, it's housing. It's areas where you obviously want to get more bang for your buck and where you want to have a good impact, and, you know, a helpful impact, right? Not, you know, not that stereotype of just cutting a check, right? You want right. to actually help people. And, and that's the whole mission for a lot of agencies and their offices. And, you know, big data could really help them get into the nitty gritty on if their programs are succeeding or not, and more importantly, how they're helping, uh, maybe what unintended consequences are following along due to the program work. Right, definitely. So data.gov has published a bunch of applications that are an example of this private sector using open government data. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's nice to see how they've made this raw data into nifty little tools like one that I like is uh, flyontime.us <laughs> that takes data from the Bureau of Transportation Statistics, blends it with weather information, and then from user-generated content, the people who are staring there looking at the airline security lines, and it helps give travelers an accurate picture of expected wait times and travel conditions that they're going to find when they go out. Um, there's another just sort of basic one, um, bankrank.org. Uh, they use complaint data on financial institutions. They do adjust it for size, obviously, too, because big banks are going to get more no matter what. Um, but they then break it down by sort of, you know, sector of specialty, and they're able to help give consumers more choices and information to guide their choices about, you know, what banks are performing well and things. So it's, if you imagine expanding those kinds of useful little apps connected to data from nutrition or housing programs, really like big picture, big issue stuff, not just the census type data, who was being helped, how much money was spent, no, those dry numbers, but information about the results of the program, how people are helped, and the possible impact on their larger community. I think sometimes you need to compare more than just the metrics of what your program is showing. There's a ripple that comes out, um, like connecting nutrition programs to overall community health, how school lunch programs can help class attendance and test scores, maybe even combining data from multiple agencies. And then you show the impact when you have food and housing and education grant programs, they all converge and they're working in concert. There's so much potential to, you know, 
really see what the effects are. Yeah, there, there, there really is. I love looking at that big picture stuff, and it's not, you know, not something that's going to happen tomorrow, but it really is something where agencies can start laying that groundwork, um, you know, especially at the higher level, uh, you know, if they, you know, if they can see that potential, um, and you know, now to tie it into my favorite topic, um, expanding, <laughs> you know, expanding that ability, right, to capture and, and analyze your data, that, that is going to require your IT office, it's going to require your CIO, uh, so implementing Fatera. Uh, which we talked about before, you know, that high-level oversight, right, and, and bringing your CIO up to speed on the IT requirements for your programs, you know, getting getting the CIO's expertise, that can only help, you know, your grant program managers get the resources they need to capture and use this data and, and strengthen their mission. So, you know, I would love to see high-level officials, you know, sidling up to that genius bar and getting the CIO involved in grant programs in this area, in this strategy area. Uh, I think so much good could come from that. Yep, tap their expertise. So I, I, and I think, you know, CIOs are really like, okay, we've got Fatara, let us help. So I think they're really poised to want to, you know, pitch in and, and do what they can to assist. So yeah, I think so too. Well, that's all for this week. Um, if you are a government agency subscriber to the Virtual Acquisition Office website, you can find links to this week's headlines for further reading on FAO on the same page where you downloaded this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you will tune in again for the next Daily News podcast, which will occur on February 12th. Bye-bye. <laughs>